This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for well over a decade, and they have created a limited edition Everyday Hero shirt. There are only 2,000 of them available, and 100% of the proceeds are going to go to charity, and on top of that, for every purchase, they're going to donate an N95 mask to first responders in New York City, which is certainly one of the hardest hit areas in America during this crisis. And on top of that, as always, they still are offering the 15 percent discount to all listeners of Behind the Shield using the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. And I just want to go over some of the products that I've featured in the past that I think are incredible. So you have the Norris sneaker, which I think is a great, comfortable alternative to the heavy, cumbersome duty boots. You have the uniforms, some of which I wore over a decade ago in Anaheim Fire, which I think are some of the most comfortable and come in a variety of fits to make sure they actually do fit the responder. The AMP backpack, which I've used from hiking to loading with plates on a cruise ship to exercise in, to traveling across the world when I see family and do interviews. And then more recently, the shorts and the jeans are incredibly comfortable. I've been using them as well and some of the flashlights. So there are so many things that will add value to your work life and your home life in their catalog of products. So just to reiterate again, go to 511 Tactical, that's 511-T-A-C-T-I-C-A-L.com. Use the code SHIELD15, save 15% and make a difference in your community. Welcome guys to episode 318 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome back onto the show Lieutenant Colonel Janelle McCauley. So Janelle has teamed up with Dr. Michael Gervais and Pete Carroll to create Warrior's Edge. And I want to get your attention. They are offering this program for free to any frontline personnel. So we explore the Warrior's Edge program. So it's a mental resilience program. They talk about goal setting, overcoming fear, all elements of mental excellence. Before we get to that podcast, like I always say, please just take a moment, go to whichever podcast app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. The five-star ratings really do make us more visible to people looking for a podcast like this. And then share these episodes. There are over 300 men and women's incredible stories and life's work on this free library for you, the audience. So all I ask in return is that you help share them so they can get to the people that need to hear them on planet Earth. So with that being said, I introduce to you Janelle McCauley. Enjoy. Janelle, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming back to the Behind the Shield podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. Yeah, well, this is funny because we literally just did your webinar yesterday, so that was a lot of fun, but I'm looking forward to kind of covering over some of those topics again in this format so that my audience can can listen to what we discussed about and obviously many of the solutions that you guys have and the, the generous offer that you're doing for the men and women on the front line. Excellent. I'm really excited to kind of share all of that with your listeners. And I love what you're doing with the Behind the Shield podcast. I just think it's so needed right now, especially as our front line really has transitioned to uh, the healthcare, um, our healthcare workers and uh, first responders that are putting their lives even more at risk today. So I'm happy to, to discuss 
some of the work that I've been doing and some self-care techniques for those that are on those front lines. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and I think that's what we discussed before we started recording is that there's a lot of focus on, you know, the the deaths and people are being instructed to to basically be scared and to stay at home and they're not really being given the message that there are many things that they can do to to use that time wisely and also the self-care mentally and physically that will boost their immunity and will uh, improve their chances during this whole strange time. For sure. I think the question we're all asking ourselves is how can we move forward in an environment we didn't choose for ourselves? Um, I think that's both people who are on those front lines trying to execute their professions and their jobs because that landscape has changed. And then everybody else that, you know, is trying to do their part to keep themselves safe, keep others safe. But now their work life has become fully integrated in a new and very challenging way. So yeah, um, all of these things that are kind of coming together for, for everybody. I think it's a challenge for our mental state and just our overall well-being and health. Um, so yeah, we have lots lots we can discuss today. Absolutely. Well, let's start with um, where you are on planet Earth because I, I can't remember if you'd moved when we did the interview or if you were about about to, but where where are we finding you now? I am in Utah and I live here on the base, the Air Force Base, Hill Air Force Base. My husband is still active duty, so I'm a military spouse. However, my husband is about to retire this summer, actually, in, a, in like two months. Um, so we'll see how that kind of plays out. But we're, we've fell, fallen in love with Utah, the outdoors, the mountains, and um, we're building a house out here. So excited to kind of start that next journey. Brilliant. Yeah, because I see all your posts. I have uh, snow envy sitting here in Florida. <laughs> yes, I definitely really enjoy uh, my snow time, which has been really hard because when we first went into kind of this lockdown, it, we had some great snow days and all the mountains have been closed. So it was a little, for someone who skis three times a week, um, it was a hard transition. But now the sun is shining and we're getting outside in other ways, hiking and biking. So that's the, the, the transition has occurred. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing we're seeing here. So we, we've got all these beautiful beaches and no one's allowed on them, you know. So that, And that's always been one of my go-to places is just to go basically body surf, just act like a three-year-old in the ocean for an hour. But yeah, it's 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 sad to see that many of these positive outlets that people have, you know, have enjoyed have now been taken away. Yes, I think that's that's the challenge. And so it's trying to find ways, you know, nature is so um, good for us in so many ways, you know, just the concept of grounding, right? Like putting your, your feet on the earth um, is very therapeutic. Being outside, getting the vitamin D, the fresh air, the oxygen, as I kind of equate it to putting on our oxygen masks um, for our self-care and being able to serve and lead others and to the best of our ability when we do that. Um, it is. It, it, luckily here in Utah, we're still, um, there's a lot of wide open space for us to kind of keep our, our six feet apart and get our activities in. Um, but even just getting outside, whether it's a balcony you have or your backyard um, and, you know, getting a little bit of a change of scenery uh, can be so good for us. So I highly recommend everybody trying to do that um, as much as they can. Yeah, I agree 100%. So, well, from your position, so obviously you're attached to the military, you retired, you know, Lieutenant Colonel from the Air Force. Um, what are some of the stories that you're hearing from around the nation of, of 
some things that are, that are very positive, but obviously people that are struggling as well. Yeah, I think this is a really good opportunity for us all to kind of come together. Um, you know, even though I hate the term social distancing, if I'm if I'm being honest, I I think we are in an a situation where physical distancing is vitally important, but from a social aspect, I think we need to be socially connected even more so. And I think, you know, this is hopefully a time where some goodness is coming out of it in a couple different ways. One is maybe we're reconnecting with people we haven't talked to in a while. I know I've been on a couple of Zoom calls with, you know, old friends from different parts of my life and family members that, you know, normally you just get too busy for those types of uh, connections. And so I think that's one good aspect of what's coming from this. I think also, what my hope is, is that a lot of people are reflecting on the state of their lives. And what I mean by that is, I think most of us would say, you know, if someone asked you, hey, how are you doing? You would say, oh, I'm busy, or I'm kind of stressed, or life is crazy, right? Like, that's kind of normally the phrase we use. And, um, you know, we're very overscheduled, like our children today are very overscheduled. And so I hope this time is also an opportunity for some people to reflect on what's really important, what it really brings value into their lives. Um, you know, and that's from a professional standpoint, as well as a personal standpoint, you know, all those times we said, gosh, I wish I just had time to teach my kids to cook or to spend more time with them, you know, with their sports and activities. Well, now we kind of have the ability to do that. And so I hope that we keep some of those habit patterns that we're building right now um, when we go back to, to whatever the new normal is. Um, so I think that's also hopefully some good things that are going to come out of this whole process. We can reevaluate that busyness and, and, you know, really keep and hold on to the things that have meaning for us. Yeah, no, and I agree. I, I did a post a while ago about just realizing that now because one day you will be back at work and you know maybe you find yourself back in a job that you didn't like i hope a lot of people are questioning their choice of uh careers even and and doing something about that um but yeah one day this 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 isolation is going to be done again and if you look back and had not taken advantage of this you just kind of just let the day drift away then then there's going to be a lot of regret as well that you missed a golden opportunity to to put some value in this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and with that, you know, pairing it with compassion and forgiveness for yourself, I think is also um, an important aspect, you know, like also don't, you know, go to the extreme of writing this huge list of all these things. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to, you know, uh, create uh, recipes and an Instagram following and da, 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 you know, like all of these things. And then when you, when you don't hit those goals, um, feeling angry or frustrated or, uh, resentful. So I think there's a balance between the two, right? Like trying to find and reflect on this time and, and take advantage, see it as an opportunity. Um, but then being careful not to put too much pressure on yourself for like these, you know, overblown, right. Busy goals again. Yeah, well, I know that's uh, that's a, one of the topics in the Warriors Edge program. We're going to talk this talk about this a lot today. But you paired up with Dr. Chavez, who we had on here as well. Um, but that's something that we don't talk about a lot, which is you know, first a self assessment. Like, what? How can you how can you create goals if you don't truly know what you even want out of life? 
So what would be your advice to people? Okay, you, you, you did job X, you suddenly find yourself at home. What would be the process of self-exploration and then goal setting for, you know, to say an average civilian? The most important thing I think most of us need to realize um, with respect to how we show up every day is, are we in alignment with who we are as individuals? And if you look in the space of performance, like aligning that those guiding principles with your uh, habits and behaviors is so important. But before, right, like the, the first step, the foundational step has to be truly understanding and diving into who you are as an individual. And a lot of people just haven't either had the time or had anyone challenge them and asking those tough questions, right? Like, what is it you value? What gives you purpose in life? What is your vision for the future? You know, when you wake up in the morning, do you know why you do what you do? And those are some deep questions for individuals. And if, you know, there are many people that are midway through their lives that have never really reflected on that for themselves to really know the place of authenticity that they can align with, um, when they make decisions and perform on a daily basis. And so I think this is, this provides us the perfect time because we kind of have space to build our mental strength and agility and the foundational tools for that really lies in the self-discovery um, aspect. And that's what we teach in the Warrior's Edge program because we think it's so important to really ask those hard questions and figure them out for yourselves. And, um, you know, a lot of young people today might think, gosh, I don't even know, you know, what I want to be when I grow up. How can I do this deep dive? I'm still kind of learning and exploring. And the great thing about it is it is an iterative process, right? Things in your life change and maybe you get married, maybe you have kids, maybe you have a career change and it's a constant reevaluation. But if you've never done it the first time to really explore the foundation, it's going to be more challenging um, throughout your journey. So we devote an entire pillar of our program to the idea of self-discovery, understanding you know, your character, your vision, developing a personal philosophy, which is really like your guiding principles, um, and investing in the deep work and commitment it takes to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, and I think that's very pertinent. And it's funny, we were having this conversation. I literally spoke to one of my guests, Mark Foreman, last night, and we were talking about something that he's trying to unpack at the moment. Um, and it ultimately is about what you carried into your profession, whether it's the Air Force, the police, you know, fire, what was burning in your heart at that moment. And then fast forward 10, 20 years, let's say now you're, you're the burnout, disgruntled, police officer, for example, um, there's there's almost a guilt of basically not living that life that you were when you first stepped in. So, And then obviously the solution to that is reconnecting with that, reminding yourself, re, you know, um, getting back in touch with that altruistic element which made you become a police officer, a soldier, you know, a firefighter, because it is so easy to start deviating from that. So, you know, this self-assessment might be that you changed, you felt you fulfilled the certain burning desire, or that you actually found yourself way, you know, way socially distancing from the very core of, of what um, initiated you on this journey. And reconnecting with that may add a lot more value into the career that you're in at the moment. 
Definitely. And I think a lot of uniformed occupations struggle with that identity piece. And, you know, we really focus on what we do instead of who we are. And it's who we are that that really builds the what we do, right? Because the who we are gives us the purpose, which then usually links to those professions that are in the service industry. And I think a lot of times, though, you know, people haven't really explored that who am I piece and the the doing flows from the being. That's what we like to teach in the Warrior's Edge program. And, and, you know, when you take off a uniform or you transition, a lot of times we feel, feel lost if we haven't done that individual work in the, in the being space. Um, because it, it's value, it's, it's super important for those transitions, especially, and for like the sustainability of a lot of these professions that are high risk in stressful environments and really are about, you know, service to others. Yeah. And I, and I struggled that with myself. Um, when I first transitioned out, I volunteered for a year and the reality was the dynamic of doing this podcast just wasn't very conducive to the volunteering. And in this particular area I was volunteering at, you were supplementing an already staffed uh, fire company. So you weren't like getting into an empty fire engine. You were just joining people that were already assigned to it. So, you know, it was, it felt more kind of like a ride along, but I, I did the self assessment, my, you know, myself and realized that it was more for my ego than it was truly making a difference at that station. Um, and I think that, you know, transitioning out, you know, oh, you're a retired police officer, retired firefighter. Those, those kind of suggest like you've stopped doing that now. And I think that's what we struggle with is we're still a firefighter, a police officer, and you maybe you could call it more generically a helper or a sheepdog in the community, but you don't stop the moment you walk out. You know, you just, you're just not wearing a specific uniform anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why when you understand who you are without it, you will use those types of words, you know, helper, I'm a public servant, I, you know, um, where you find that meaning and purpose really is more tied to those deep foundational principles that make you you. Um, instead of it just being tied to like having worn that uniform or held that profession. And so you're right. Like, yes, you take off the uniform, but who you are and why you did that job should still be the same. And it can translate into different areas of our lives and ways that we can, you know, give back and um, continue to pursue those passions. And that's really what the, yeah, the Warrior's Edge course helps um, individuals dive into that. And even though it's, you know, it's an eight hour digital, um, uh, program and it's got eight hours of digital content. You know, it's very individualized, the experience you have when you go through the curriculum, because we ask a lot of questions. You are constantly reflecting and thinking about who you want to be and where you want to go in life. And, um, so everybody will have a very unique experience from taking the course, whether that's someone who's starting off in their careers and setting themselves up or someone that's in a transition, or someone that's just midway through their career looking for an, a, a way to increase their sustainability to be a high performer for the long term. Right. Well, let's let's use that as an anchor point then. So let's go back just to kind of recap on the Warriors Edge. How how did you and Dr. Gervais meet? And then tell me about the the birth of the Warriors Edge program. Sure. A few years ago, I, I think it was about four years ago, um, I met Dr. Gervais in New York City. We were both, um, we met through mutual friends at a mindfulness conference. And we 
had some discussions and we realized quickly in the space of mindfulness, there's kind of two ways people can think about the implementation piece, right? And a lot of the researchers are trying to figure out what is the most effective dose of mindfulness training so that it can help individuals not only build higher performing um, spaces within their work lives, but also their personal lives. And then there's kind of a group of individuals who are more about, let's just implement, do it, introduce it, create space and opportunity within our organizations as leaders to um, take mindfulness and actually, you know, work it from day one as, you know, these initiatives that are part of our organizational construct. And so Mike and I really bonded over the fact that when you're working with high stress populations, introducing these lengthy training programs can be very difficult. And so sometimes it's about introducing and then creating space. And so we kind of bonded over that. He was doing that kind of in the space of athletics. I was integrating it into military populations. And we just really hit it off in a lot of our thought processes for how to um, create sustainable performance and joy in high stress worlds. And he introduced me to Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks, who he had worked with. Um, and they were at the same time I was kind of running my pilot program within the military. They were doing their own work in the space of elite, elite athletics. And so we kind of, you know, I was on Mike's podcast and then we came together and just started discussing, you know, our mutual thought patterns on how to implement um, mindfulness and mindset training and thought that it would be really beneficial if we could partner and they had created a corporate training mindset training platform. And if we partnered to really build something that was messaged and very well suited for um, people who worked in rugged environments like first responders and military. So we basically created the curriculum together, put it on the digital platform. We also do live training workshops and it really has this warrior athlete spin to it. Um, you know, it's universal, the message of mindset training, how, you know, we can train three things as human beings, our body, our craft and our mind. And most organizations understand the craft, right? You have to be skilled at whatever your job, um, profession is, but, you know, and we also understand our bodies are important, but, you know, there is a cultural gap in that we don't really value or invest in formally training our minds to be really good at our jobs, especially when our jobs required a disciplined mind and split second decision making. So we kind of built this program to fill that gap. And um, it was, you know, designed for people on the front line, which right now that front line has extended to our healthcare workers. Um, and so this program that was built specifically for those law enforcement and military professions now is also very well suited for people on the front line of the coronavirus crisis um, that, you know, they also need these skill sets to stay mentally strong, mentally agile, to build the psychological flexibility so that they can you know, make good decisions under duress and then also be able to come back home. We, we like to say it's, it offers mental prehab as well to build that mental resiliency um, that's needed to just have, be overall healthy um, from a holistic uh, standpoint. Yeah, and it is. It's definitely an area that's, I don't say neglected, just 
uh, low on the priorities of, of a lot of us because, the, for example, the fire service, especially if you do the medical as well, I mean, the, the term jack of all trades, master of none is perfect for us because we have no idea. So, you know, none of us then can say that we're the best medics on the planet or the best rope rescue people because the people that specialize in those narrower fields are obviously going to be a lot better so we we have such a huge toolbox to draw from and it's a it's a it's a very enjoyable yet challenging path to stay on top of, of each of those skills as best you can um but yeah the the recovery piece and the the deregulation as we said yesterday you know the the going back down to mission ready between each shift is very important, but it's something that we just don't talk very much about. Yeah, exactly. I think um, you're you're hitting it right on. It's just not been an area we've invested in, but I think we're realizing how important it is um, for overall uh, performance today. Yeah. So, well, in the Warriors Edge, um, uh, Michael yesterday talked about the five pillars. So, I thought that'd be a good good place to kind of start with with the the areas that you focus on. Sure. We focus on the five pillars of mindset, which is mindfulness, um, psychological framework, uh, mental skills, uh, recovery, and self-discovery. So those are the five pillars. And within those five pillars, we have 16 principles of mindset that we teach. So that translates to um, about eight hours of digital content um, that we've made available. You can, you know, knock it out all in one sitting or kind of over the course of time. And, and within the platform itself, we have an embedded performance coach. So one of our Olympic athletes, uh, Nicole Davis, operates within the platform to in, um, engage with participants and answer their questions, um, you know, help them if they are kind of struggling with any of the concepts, because this is, this is deep work. This is not easy work. And I think that's why a lot of times we haven't focused in it um, or really, you know, it's, it's not as straightforward like a curriculum would be for learning your specific skill set. It's really a personalized journey and and it takes, you know, some bravery, some vulnerability to really dive into it. And so, you know, a lot of people have said that I teach these soft skills to the military, but, you know, when you take it at really face value, these are hard skills, right? Because if they weren't um, hard and it was easy, everybody would be masters of their mindset. We wouldn't have any internal dialogue that prevents us from being our best, but that's not how our minds work, right? They're powerful at mental time travel. Stress really um, affects our primitive mind. I like to say we have this ancient brain living in a modern world that, you know, the mental time travel that happens inside our brains, the productive space would be thinking, you know, and planning for the future or reflecting on the past. But when you apply stress or high pressure situations, that mental time travel turns into catastrophizing about the future and ruminating and worrying about the past, which are really not productive places. And we need training and tool set tools and skill sets to help us bring back the efficient and productive way our minds were designed to operate. Yeah. And I think that that what kind of resonated with me and obviously talking to to Michael, he he's working with these high level athletes. He worked with, I'm totally forgetting the gentleman's name, but the, the highest ever free fall that was from basically almost space. Um, he was his mental coach. So, you know, he obviously is, is, is very well versed in training elite performance. 
And I think that's the side of mindfulness that um, a lot of people don't think about is you, if you then are able to, to reset, you're going to perform much higher as a police officer, as a, a firefighter. But if you have all that white noise and you're not able to deregulate your nervous system and get back into that, that point where you can even process what you did the shift before, then, you know, it's, it's like, training a football team but never giving them a water break eventually they're going to all just collapse yes exactly exactly and i think you know the optimal space for us to be high performing is you know getting toward that flow state and the only pathway to flow state is through an optimistic lens right through a positive mind and the second, especially when we're in a high stress situation, those negative thoughts start creeping in. They are super powerful. And when you have the negative thoughts, the one thing that's for certain is that there's not going to be a pathway to, pos- to to get to that flow state and that high and high performing space. The only pathway through is through the positive mind. And so building confidence, which comes from credible self-talk, you know, um, having optimism and that, you know, something good is about to happen, especially when everything looks like it's not because the stress is overwhelming. You know, that is not an easy place for our minds to go to and building the skill sets to help cultivate the awareness so that we can build the confidence and optimism that we need in those moments is vitally important, especially for people who are operating on the front lines. And so I think, you know, that's really where what Warrior's Edge was built to help people um, formally train their minds to stay in those high performing spaces. Absolutely. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Logan Gelbrich, who was a um, a major league baseball player. And now he's a, a movement coach and there's a lot of psychology as well. But he was breaking, getting into a flow state down into to three elements. Um, one was the stress, a high stress environment, which obviously is going to be most of the calls that we run on if they're not just the, the ridiculous 911 calls that should never have happened in the first place. Um, right. the second is, is the, the training level. So obviously for his sport, he had, he had moments of flow as a, as a batsman, you know, batting. Um, well, for us, if we have done the work, which, you know, is another element, another side of this, this coin, and you've done those reps, then the third element was being in that kind of basically not not flight but fight state so actually in in the you stress not the distress and that's the element i think that is so important for for the the people who are resistant to the mindfulness side is in order to to be in flow in a fire in a in a search for a victim in in a gunfight that rest is imperative for you to be but, you know, at the pinnacle of your performance. Exactly, exactly. And I think what people don't realize with the skill set of mindfulness is really what it cultivates is awareness and awareness of where you are on the stress curve. You know, many people find themselves in distress where they've made an emotional overreaction before they even realize that that they're there. Um, you know, and then the regret sets in and, and you think, gosh, why did I just do that? Why did I fly off the handle? or um, lack rational um, decision-making in those moments. But that's just the physiological response that we have to stress. And, you know, I, we like to say that, you know, back in the day, our primitive brain was trained that when we were under duress, right, our stress response would go off. 
And that's where that sympathetic nervous system, the the flight, fight, or freeze uh, mechanism, and we get the sweaty palms, the butterflies in our stomach, the hair on the back, standing up on the back of our neck. All of our blood would flow to the, our large muscle groups so we can run away quickly or fight if we needed. But then as soon as the threat was gone, the first thing that our bodies would do would be to take that deep exhale, right? And just be like, oh, right? Like that, that, okay, I'm safe. And that deep exhale signifies to your body like, I'm now safe and in control. And when we use that mechanism with mindfulness to kind of train our bodies to understand that we can have control to re that relaxation response, it can be so powerful for how it shifts our mindset and where we are on that stress curve. Yeah. Now the, the self-discovery piece, um, I'm assuming then that that's tying very well in because it's ultimately it's about your why. So I was just thinking in my mind, we see so many, let's say sports stars that on the field, on the pitch are phenomenal. And then you hear they're an absolute train wreck in their, <laughs> in their home life. So, um, what, what are you seeing with the self-discovery piece bleeding over into the other areas? I think the self-discovery piece is so important because when you apply pressure or a stimulus to, to, you know, your life, um, if you haven't done the work to really understand who you are and how you show up, it's going to be very difficult to be in alignment under pressure. And that's the last, you know, place that you want to be in questioning who you are and how you show up. So I think doing that work ahead of time um, is is valuable because it really applies to a lot of aspects of our life, right? Like what I learned in my work is that the physiological stress response I would experience in an airplane where I was in a combat situation and lives were on the line was literally the same physiological response I could experience you know, in a corporate boardroom with someone that was making me very angry, you know, with the, their inputs, right? Or that I would experience maybe in the carpool lane when I was trying to drop my kids off for school in the morning. Right? Our bodies respond to stress in that same way. And if you could learn to control that mechanism, if you could build awareness around it and then give yourself a skill set to remain in the present moment and not in that mental time travel inside your head that's building catastrophes and making the moment bigger than it really is, whether that's on a world stage in, of athletics or just when you're you know, at home with your spouse, right? Same kind of mechanism that you can build tool sets to um, help you control those moments. And all of that really builds upon, I think, you know, mindfulness is the foundational skill because that gives us the mechanism for staying in the moment and getting outside of the catastrophes and bringing the awareness to our stress response. And then that second um, foundational piece is the self-discovery, like who am I in these moments and how do I you know, stay aligned um, with myself is kind of that second. And then all the other pieces, the psychological framework and the mindset skills that we teach then help amplify your performance, especially in those moments where it counts. And then the last pillar recovery, how that fits in is you have to be able to, and you have to invest in recovery, right? To be able to sustainably do this on a repetitive basis. And so, and I think that's also being really highlighted in our current crisis is the importance of focusing on the recovery yeah well you talked about the self-talk and i remember asking um michael this as well and i think it's a very 
important topic to go over and you, you said about calming the kind of the, the the voices it sounds like we're crazy but you know the the negative self-talk but it's something that i've noticed in myself my whole life so whether it's competing in the martial arts like oh that guy looks bigger he looks faster he looks you know more flexible whatever it is to what we do now driving to a call and like do i know my drug calculations you know am, am, am i going to be able to find this victim am i going to am i even going to go through the right door you know and and that negative little troll that lives in your head um is a real thing i think the more fatigued we get the more burnt out we get the more that fear creeps in so what are you seeing as far as almost like imposter syndrome through your lens well what the this i guess the scientific basis for this is called cognitive elaboration and that's where those catastrophe builds in, inside your head in the inner dialogue and it may have actually no root in reality it's just the story you tell yourself. And I like to say the majority of the catastrophes you're going to experience in your life are going to be the ones in your head, right? They won't really happen to you, but they will feel real. That is how powerful our minds are because they will feel very real to us. And so in order to decrease the amount of cognitive elaboration um, we have going on, which also is tied to perceptual decoupling, which means that you're not paying attention to what's going on in front of you. It's like you read the page in a book and get to the end and realize I didn't even pay attention to anything that was on that page. Um, that is an, a non-productive place for many of us, for our minds to go. And they, and it tends to go there under times of high stress. It tends to go there when we're not relying on our confidence building skills in those heated moments. And so really in order to get away from the conceptual elaboration and the perception, perceptual decoupling, which also, by the way, tends to push us toward two things, which is being error prone right? Because we're not focused on what's right in front of us, what's happening in the moment. And so we tend to make errors when um, our mind takes us to those negative places. And then the second thing is, is that that perceptual decoupling and mind wandering tends toward the negative, right? We tend to have negative thought patterns instead of positive thought patterns um, in those moments. And so that's why it's vitally important to have skill sets that can help you stay in the moment, stay out of that cognitive elaboration, that goes on in our inner dialogue and be focused, but it requires a disciplined mind. You know, the skill set of mindfulness in, and I know I keep going back to that really is what helps us get. And I, I equate it to an iPod instead of being in fast forward or rewind on our iPod, it helps us retain the play button, right? Live more of our lives on the play button where we're not, inside that inner dialogue or in that mental time travel, because that is the high performing space. That is also where we find and see joy and learning and laughter and love. And for many of us, and when we're inside that iPod, all we see is the laboring and the stress. And that is not a sustainable place to really live or nor is it a high performing space. Yeah. And it's such an interesting thing to look at when you take a step back, because if there was another human being standing next to you saying, you're not fast enough, you don't know these drug meds, you know, you're not going to be able to find this child, you'd probably just punch him in the face. <laughs> but you, right. you allow yourself to talk to yourself that way all the time. Exactly, exactly. We, you know, we sometimes tend to um, kind of 
take for granted, you know, uh, the, our ability to be compassionate and forgiving to others. And we don't really afford those same sentiments to ourselves. Um, and I think that that's also two things that we should be focusing on during this crisis as well is, you know, cutting ourselves some slack, being compassionate for what we're able to do in these moments. Um, and not let, you know, that it's, it's really called the monkey mind, right? The monkey mind kind of uh, drive our decision-making and our behaviors and how we see ourselves. Um, cause you're right. The way we talk to ourselves, we would never talk to like our best friend, um, in that manner. Yeah. Well, you've, you've touched on a point that I was going to transition to as well, which is what I'm seeing from a lot of the storytelling through, you know, mainstream media, which I, I don't have cable. I, I shut all that stuff off, but it still pops up obviously on social media feeds is a constant fear-based, um, dialogue or, or not, you know, monologue of what's going on. So these, you know, this many people died. We lost more than 9-11. We lost more than Pearl Harbor. This person was young, you know, and I wonder how much of this is creating that negative narrative that may even manifest in a lower immune system due to the stress response, which then is going to get people sick rather than, you know, telling middle of the road facts about this. Yes, this is happening. This is the group that's, you know, most vulnerable. But here's how many people have come through the other side just fine, you know? Um, so I wonder what the toll is from all this negativity that's being sold during this crisis. Oh, I'm sure it's having an impact. And I am really worried about people's mental health through this whole crisis because of that. Um, you know, we need to set healthy boundaries in two ways, setting healthy boundaries with the amount of information we're, we're taking in during this time. Um, because you're right. Uh, the majority of it can help set us up on the, the negative pathways, the catastrophizing, right? It, it, when our mind, there's so much uncertainty right now. And when our mind doesn't have the answers, it starts filling in the blanks, right? And the majority of the time we fill in the blanks, we fill it in with those catastrophes. And so the one thing that is certain right now is that there's a lot of unknowns. And so the more we can kind of just step back from that, live in the present moment of what's right in front of us, what we have control over. And what we have control over are our thoughts and our behaviors and our, the, our ability to provide recovery and self-care to ourselves. And that's where we also need to have healthy um, boundaries, right? We Just because we're in a virtual environment where technically now we're basically on 24-7 doesn't mean that we need to be on nor require our employees to be on 24-7, right? Shift workers, these frontline folks that are out there, you know, um, performing at their best to help save lives right now on the front line, they also need to step back and then take some space for that mental recovery to build the mental resiliency. And we really hope that the Warrior's Edge program can either help people who are about to ex be experience the crisis in their environment so it can be used right now to help them prepare or those in individuals that are on the front lines, we realize they may not have the moment right now to take the training, but we're going to offer it and make it available throughout 2020 so that they can um, take it at some point to help in that recovery aspect because it's, it's so vitally important to their immune systems, right? That as they're getting exposed um, potentially to this dangerous virus. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it since you brought it up. So, so who are you offering it to and, and, you know, um, what is the cost of it? 
Yeah, so Warrior's Edge right now is offered for free to any frontline COVID-19 responder. Um, and so you can access the course by going to our website, which is at com- competetocreate.net slash Warrior's Edge. And there's an inquiry form on there and they can fill it out and click the free COVID-19 um, responder um, button. If you're not on the front lines um, or if you're just an individual that's in you know, a high stress occupation or that's being quarantined at home right now and looking to improve your overall you know, well-being, personal and professional development with mindset skills, we're offering a, an awesome special right now. Normally, the course is $500 to take. And we're offering it at um, $225 for anyone that just wants to take it on their own. So they can also um, fill out the inquiry form or send us an email at warriorsedge at competetocreate.net. And then if there's organizations that are looking um, to potentially use this training for their employees, um, we also have like package um, deals that we can offer to organizations so that they can get this hand, this training into the their employees' hands to improve, right? Like it's it's basically we're all in this world of uncertainty and the Warrior's Edge program really is built to help people build mental training skills to thrive in uncertain conditions. Brilliant. So just to underline, so, so a lot of the audience are first responders, they work in prisons, dispatch centers, you know, doctors, nurses. So, so you're offering that for free for all those people. Yes. Yes. We would like to um, help them um, build these mental skill sets to do their jobs, especially in this crisis. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, so another thing that you touch on in, you know, when you actually go into the, the course, um, and just actually, let me let me take a step back. What I think is so great about this is we want something actionable, and this this guides you through, and it gives you something to do. Like when I get off shift today, I'm gonna do chapter one. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna address this one topic and work my way through over the next few days for the Warrior's Edge. So rather, I'm I'm looking out at a whole bookshelf full of books that I've got that are full of amazing content. But it's a case of sitting down and reading and pulling the things out. What I like about the Warrior's Edge is is you're guiding the people along, so they have a you know A through Z um, route that they take. And so if you're isolated completely at the moment, or you know you you don't do shifts, then then maybe you can bang it out in in a day or two. Or obviously people can just take a little piece at a time if they are you know working shifts and having to actually be on the front line with this. Exactly, and they can. Um there the the way the format of the curriculum is is it's interactive videos um that are only like 1 to 5 minutes that are taught by our expert um yeah, content um deliverers so Dr. Gervais and Pete Carroll and our team of Olympians elite military operators myself we are the ones teaching and they're just little snippets so yes like if you just want um a little bit you know, on confidence, the confidence section, you know, has four or five videos and you can watch one or two of them or all of them and, um, get maybe a little bit of a restoration and recovery space, right. To kind of help you, um, in your next day and or next shift of work. So that's really how it's built. You can do it module or in, in modules, um, piece by piece. Yeah. And I, I think that's it. It's, it's, a, it's a actionable task that we can go to. So you actually feel like you are, doing something positive with some of your downtime. And I think that's that framework in an environment where we feel like we've lost a lot of our frameworks, I think is very helpful. 
Yes. And and that's really, you know, Mike, Pete and I have all bonded over the same passion, which is helping others find their best, especially those whose professions require them to put their lives on the line or, you know, have a high risk, you know, mission. Um, and so if this can even in some small way help uh, those on the front lines today, um, that makes, you know, our, our mission to help others, um, succeed. And so, yes, we're happy to offer this to all of those individuals. Well, thank you. So, so one area that, that I saw in the class, the course that I was getting to before I, I backtracked, um, was grit. And that's something that I know there's been some books written on it, but it's not something that, again, that, that we discuss that much, but you've got the rest and recovery, obviously. So that's the one side. Also, it's, it's the ability to grind. And a lot of our men and women, especially in the Northeast, are grinding right now. So what are some of the areas that you talk about teaching grit? Well, the one thing I think people, um, the perception around grit is that you either have it or you don't, right? You were born with it. And I think what some of the researchers, especially a lot of the work with Angela Duckworth and Pete has actually really focused a lot of this um, in his team building and the NFL is that you can actually train grit, right? You can, um, grit really is the passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. And, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, I have to have this deep passion and I have to have, you know, been built or designed as a human being to um, have the perseverance to stick to it. And what we found is that you can actually train it for yourself. You can actually surround yourself with gritty individuals and develop and enhance your own grit. Like you won't bring down the gritty people. Um, They will actually lift you up in those moments. And so um, that's an, uh, a really big part of our programming. However, the, the really amazing thing and every all of these 16 principles that are in our mindset training program all build on each other. And they're all rooted in two things, scientific research and evidence based practices that have been tested in alpha competitive environments. And they all connect with each other and they all build upon each other. Because one big thing about grit is have you done the self-discovery space to really find out where what gives you passion and purpose, right? Because you can't expect yourself to have grit if you don't know what gives you the passion and perseverance. And so all of these pieces kind of um, fit together uh, to really help you build the most high-performing mindset you can for yourself to excel um, in conditions of uncertainty. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you because that that seems to make a lot of sense. You know, if it's what are you you know what are you willing to fight for? And if is your child stuck in you know a, a ten-story building and you've got to race up there, you're probably going to find a lot deeper grit than. You know, either of the two candidates were left in this presidential race. Would you die for them? You know, it's a, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very different, uh, motivation, you know. So I, I think that's just it is what you said at the beginning, getting, getting in touch with the core, like, you know, what you stand for, who, who you would die for metaphorically or, you know, realistically. Um, I think that if you, if you haven't got a connection with that, it would be very hard to find that grip because when you're ready to quit, What's keeping you going? Exactly. Exactly. And then when you're also in those gritty moments, you need to have trained confidence and optimism as well because the sustainability, right? Like to to stay in it longer, not only do you have to have that passion and purpose that gives you the drive to kind of begin, but like, 
you know, you have to be able to see the positives and stay in that positive mind in those moments and not let that inner dialogue and those catastrophes build because they will also erode your your commitment and your grit in those moments. So yeah, everything really fits together. And that's why we've designed the program the way we have. Um, and it kind of all works together to build um, the most high performing mindset. Yeah, well, just to add one more area, and then I want to get to some closing questions again, like we did before. But we talked about the the negative self talk. What about the the power of positive self talk? Yeah. So the one thing that we found in the research with positive self talk, I mean, you can't just it can't be you know rooted in rainbows and unicorns and this unrealistic. Um, you, you know, talking myself in, into a certain p- uh, profession or direction. It, what we call it is it's credible self-talk, right? It has to be rooted in reality, rooted in our capabilities and rooted in our ability to put in the work and the effort, right? There's no hacks. There's no shortcuts to anything. Is, and if anyone tells you there are, they're, they're selling you something that's untrue with, within the space of performance because it does take hard work and commitment. And with respect um, to our, our self-talk, it has to come from a credible, credible space. It has to be rooted in things we've done before. And that's, we like to kind of say in building um, confidence, it comes from credible self-talk, knowing that we've done and we've accomplished hard things. And here's an example I like to say, my, my daughters and her friends, they, she's on the mountain biking team. And we were on a mountain bike ride and we'd made it up a couple big hills. And then we got to a really big hill and I could just tell all the girls were just complaining. And like, I can't do this. This is too big for me. Like I'll never make it up this hill. And I was at the very back of the line and I just, you know, whispered to the, to my daughter who was right in front of me. And I said, Hey, we just made it up three really big hills. We can do difficult things, pass it up. And she just started passing it up to like all of her friends. And then they started this mantra, like we can do difficult things. We can do difficult things. And the next thing you know, right, we've all made it to the top of the mountain. And so it's, it's relying on what we would say is how do you back up your statements, your confident statements, or even your negative statements. My daughter will say all the time, Hey, I suck at math. I'm horrible at math. And then when I ask her to back it up, like, what's your grade in math? She'll say like, well, I actually have an A. Okay, so are you really bad at math? Like the language we use with ourselves is so important. And when we step back from it for a minute, we realize that it's really that those catastrophes and that negative inner dialogue. um, And it's not really rooted in anything credible. So when we keep it to credible self-talk, we can really grow as individuals. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I was talking to uh, one of the, the world's strongest women, um, Kristen Rhodes, and she was talking about all the the um, the the PRs, the lifts that she did that no woman had ever done before, and it was the same as Roger Bannister's four minute mile. You know, one once one person breaks it, once one person does a double backflip on a motorbike, all of a sudden. It's a very short time after that that other people do, but it was the same thing. Someone showed them, someone actually believed that they could, but then everyone else saw that it could be done. And that was all it took for them then to be able to push their performance that that much further. Exactly. And you just, for yourself, you just take it one step at a time, right? Like one like improvement after another, and then that culminates into, you know, doing amazing things. Absolutely. 
Brilliant. Well, um, I want to transition to some closing questions and then at the end, obviously, we'll make sure everyone knows where to find Warrior's Edge again. Um, but I think we did the interview about, I'm almost at 300. It must have been about a year ago. Um, so have there been any books that you've read this last year that, that really struck you? Oh, wow. Um, I am an avid reader. Uh, I think I might have even suggested my hands down favorite book, I'm, I have to say, is, is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. So I might have mentioned that last time. Um, but on top of um, his book, you know, I have recently um, read The Moment of Lift, which was by Melinda Gates. Um, and I actually have to say, like, I really enjoyed that book, that and Grateful American by um, Gary Sinise. Because I think those are very applicable to kind of what we're going through today. Like, what can we control? And where do we find, like, those moments of um, joy and happiness? Where do we find gratitude for ourselves? Um, I can't I think are kind of themes for both those books. And, you know, that's when we can focus on in those spaces, we're building optimism, we're building confidence, we're building that positive mind, which is a place I think we all need some extra help with today because as you said, the negative um, media, the scariness of the unknown, um, you know, can dominate our thought patterns. And so, you know, gratitude, helping others um, and finding those positive spaces are really, really important today. Yeah. Well, I think people, whether they like it or not, are being taught gratitude, you know, because things that they took for granted have been taken away. So I think they're being forced to appreciate um, areas. And I think that's that's such a an important common denominator to overall happiness. If, if you if you're grateful for something, it's impossible to be unhappy or depressed. You, you have gratitude. Your heart is full. So, I mean, Gary's book, um, I'm hoping to get him on one day. I think he'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, any, anyone who talks about what's right about their life. I had, uh, police officer Jason Schechterly on who was horrendously burnt after his, uh, cruiser exploded being hit by a taxi. And wow. one of the most incredibly positive, you know, gracious men you'll ever talk to because he focuses on, on his life, what he does have, not what he doesn't have. So, yeah, I think gratitude is such an important piece that some of us got already and some of us are being kind of grabbed by the lapels and being shown to to start appreciating. Exactly. I love that. That's that's those are, that's a great input. All right. Well, then what about a, a movie? Oh, goodness. A movie. Um, you're putting me on the spot there. Uh, (laughs) Um, what have I, uh, recently watched? You know, I, um, PBS has a documentary on the, the 1918 Spanish flu, um, pandemic that was really kind of interesting, um, for me. Uh, I just watched it recently. Um, just kind of, you know, shaping, like that we've kind of been through this before and we've survived it. Um, you know, it was difficult and it's something that, um, we all just as a society and, and really as a world, um, have to come together for, but it was kind of hopeful to see, right? Like they made it through this and to the other side. And so we can as well. Um, so that was kind of a, an interesting and thought provoking, um, not really a movie, but, a documentary. <laughs> yeah. Well, either or is great. Now I've got a question for you. So, um, 
I kind of know that the Spanish flu was around World War One. Obviously, the conditions during that war were horrendous in some of the trenches and, you know, battlefields that we had. What did they contribute Spanish flu's origin to? You know, um, they that was the one thing that was not well done in that video or in that documentary because they kind of just explored like our experience here in the U.S. and how, you know, we came through it. Um, the, they didn't really di dive into too much of the origins behind it, unfortunately. So that is something that I, I'm looking into. Um, I need to educate myself a little bit more on that as well. Yeah, because, I mean, we, you've probably seen some of the conspiracy theories about this, this current pandemic and... You look at, you know, some of the other COVIDs, the, the coronas that we had, you know, bird flu and swine flu, which I think is the same family, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, mad cow disease in, back in England. And you can all trace them back to really shitty farming practices or, or marketing <laughs> practices. So was it, you know, man-made? Yeah, but not, <laughs> not by some devious little James Bond villain. It was just the fact that we are, you know, Mother Nature is is pushing back, and I'm I'm curious to see if that was the same with the Spanish flu, because even the, like cholera and Black Death in London, they're all created back to basically us pooing in our drinking water, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think you know I worked in this space of um, weapons of mass destruction a little bit in my time in the military. I've mainly focused in the chemical weapon um, area, but uh, we had a whole section in the you know, biological weapon. And I mean, it's very serious. Um, you know, what these, you know, biological diseases can, can do to us as a nation and as, as just human beings. And so, um, I think it's something that we haven't focused as much on, um, in the past. And I think this is highlighting the need to do that. Um, and also, you know, foundationally building up all of our immune systems so that we're prepared as best as we can as, as individual human beings to fight, um, any of these viruses that might come our way. Yeah. And that's something I've talked about. And I agree a hundred percent. And I think even, you know, from the military point of view, talking to Tim Kennedy and some of the other servicemen and women I've had on is the ability to defend against, you know, invasion as well. So, I mean, I, I don't mean this to be derogatory. It just is what it is. But if an invading fit army looked at the, the security cameras in the average Walmart, I don't think it would f strike fear into the hearts of someone that's thinking of, you know, coming to our country. So not only do we, is resilience good for, for disease, but it's also obviously most importantly good for the, the health and wealth of a nation that you want people to have long, fruitful lives. But, you know, for the army, I mean, you guys are seeing smaller pools or we're seeing smaller pools of men and women to even draw from because of some of the ill health. Oh, exactly. That's probably one of the greatest, you know, crises of our time right now, too, is just the way our culture is shifting toward the easy buttons is kind of what I call them, right? Fast food is an easy button. Um, stressing versus uh, restoring and recovering is kind of an easy button. Um, you know, not moving. And I kind of joke sometimes that movie WALL-E, um, where, you know, the human race really becomes these little blobs that don't even really interact with each other except on computer screens. And, you know, I really fear that, you know, we do need to make some substantive changes as a culture to get out of this competitive stress environment and really do what is, you know, right and healthy for ourselves as a culture from a health standpoint. And I think yeah. we've got some work to do. 
Absolutely. And have, you, have you ever seen the animation? Um, they, they haven't done a huge amount. I forget the name of the the artist now, but they're basically animals, but they're all, I mean, they, they kind of bounce around like balls, but basically it's like they're obese, massively obese, but it's kind of comical. Like there's a, let's say a, a giant alligator trying to, trying to catch a gazelle and, and he, he kind of bounces off the water and rolls around. And it's, it's a very sad, tragic, but you know, it is, it is meant to be lighthearted, but look at, you take this beautiful gift of the human body and then you see these very, very young men and women that are, you know, so unhealthy that you're having to use motorized scooters and all these kind of things. And it is heartbreaking that, that you know what they could do with that, with that body. They could be anything they want. And instead, through, you know, miseducation, through, through some of the awful foods that we allow on our shelves, um, you know, they, they, they'll never know the joy of a healthy, thriving physical life. Right. Exactly. I'll have to check that out. I have not heard of that uh, cartoon before. I'll, <laughs> I'll look it up. I'll see if I can find it. But it was, it's it's uh, it's a very like I said, it's very funny because it's you know animal based. But there is a kind of tragic parallel to to our obesity epidemic. I think. Um, all right. Well, then the next question: Is there a person you recommend to come on the podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Um, you know who I've recently been connected with, and maybe you, you are already connected with him um, from Port. I think he's from Portland. Um, uh, Lieutenant Gorling um, that does mindfulness with uh, law enforcement. Have you connected with him yet? Um, it doesn't ring a bell, and and it, we may have literally a you know a Facebook friendship. But as you're probably aware, that it's so diluted that you you don't really know who <laughs> who you're connected with. But what was his first name? Do you know? Richard. Richard. Okay, um, I'll look. Richard. Yeah. So he and I were supposed to speak at a first responders conference um, in May, which you know we're talking about doing a virtual session now or, or pushing it toward the fall. But um, so yeah, Richard and I were um, around the same time uh, on uh, Dan Harris's Ten Percent Happier podcast. I was talking about doing mental pushups with the Air Force, and he was talking about you know mindfulness in law enforcement. And then we're supposed to talk at this. Uh, speak at this conference for first responders that was going to be in May. And um, I think he would actually be uh, a great guest for you um, because he's really been an innovator, especially in the police force um, with respect to mindfulness. So I think you'd enjoy that. Thank you. Yeah. I think Dan Harris actually would be another interesting person. Oh yeah. He would be great too. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, the last question before we make sure we go over how everyone can find um, Warrior's Edge and you, what, uh, what do you do to decompress? Normally, I, I ski. I get outside. And so most of the winter, I'd say about three days a week, I try to go outdoors um, on the mountain. And so now, you know, same kind of thing, hiking and biking. If there's a way I can pair being outside, being active, taking those deep breaths, being out in nature you know, a lot of people ask about starting their own mindfulness practice. And I started saying, you know, there's different apps you can use headspace or calm or 10% happier. But you know, my favorite app is just nature. And it's funny, because a lot of people will email me and tell me and say, Hey, I can't find this nap, this app called nature that you keep talking about. And I say, because you're not going to find it on your phone, it's actually just going go outside (laughs) and be in nature. Um, there's something just very powerful about that. So that's really where I get 
you know, my oxygen, my energy, my restoration and recovery is just being outside, being with my family, especially um, doing something active. Brilliant. Yeah, that's one of my I didn't realize it was meditation until I kind of took a step back. But I walk my dog normally when uh, when we have our normal, you know, work week. Um, when I walk my little boy to his bus stop, I, I walk my dog and that was like an hour, uh, excuse me, half an hour of, of walking and leave my phone at home. And yeah, that's kind of by the second lap of the lake that we live by. It's normally the, the monkey mind has settled down and you kind of <laughs> find yourself in that, that more of a flow state. Right. Exactly. That's, and I tell people that they've got to stop treating those activities where they are fully present, fully engrossed in them, right? Where they get close to that or even in flow state, we treat them like a luxury. And for some people that might be, it might happen when they're fishing or they're hiking or uh, they do, you know, their annual trip to the mountains and get to ski or whatever it is. And they, but they don't do it except for that one time a year. And so it's taking that same sense and that sense of purpose and sense of focus and attention that you that are that your mind provides you in those moments with those activities and then really trying to recreate it and and a space that you can build into your daily life and um yeah for me that's just somehow getting outside whether yeah the walk the hike the bike the ski whatever it is it's just those moments outside that kind of bring that mentality uh to my daily daily life I love, love it. it. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, so wrapping up, where can people find Warriors Edge? Just recap. And then if they want to reach out to you specifically, how do they do that? Yeah, so Warriors Edge is, with, is my partnership with Compete to Create, the company that Mike and Pete have together. And so you can go to competetocreate.net slash Warriors Edge to find out more information on the program. Like I said, there's an inquiry form right there on the website you can, you can fill out if you'd like access to the training or have about it. You can also email direct warriorsedge at competetocreate.net to ask any questions. And then I have a website, uh, janellemacaulay.com, that you can find more information about my work. And um, there's also a link to Warriors Edge there. And I'm on all the social platforms. I love engaging um, with some of the listeners on the podcast that I have uh, the um, privilege of being a part of. And I tend to try to kind of post thought-provoking um, material and latest research in the human performance space. And that's really across things like mindset, mindfulness, um, nutrition, uh, movement, physical activity, and sleep. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to be on your podcast again. This was really a privilege for me and always enjoy talking with you, James. <laughs>